Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 9, Episode 19, Kenshin and Kanto, Bonus Episode. While Nobunaga's activities in Kansai get most of the attention during the closing period of Sengoku Jidai, Japan is much bigger than Kansai alone. The Kanto Plain in the east was a vast fertile area which promised great wealth and power to those who could gain and maintain control over large areas thereof. In this episode we will explore some of the many battles, reversals, betrayals, and blunders that took place in Kanto during Nobunaga's consolidation in Kansai. While you are by now aware that the Takeda clan represented the best chance for mounting a significant challenge to Nobunaga's growing power in the 1570s, this episode will explore what events transpired to help the Takeda clan come out roughly on top. Previously, we briefly discussed the developments in Kanto following the collapse of the Imagawa army at the Battle of Okehazama, but those events warrant further exploration. While the daimyo of the Imagawa was quite dead, the clan itself still survived well into the period following the Muromachi period, and would continue in some capacity for many centuries afterward. Would they become the powerful lords of a modest Kanto empire? Um, no. When clans suffered losses on the scale suffered by the Imagawa, survival alone would need to suffice as a measure of success. While Imagawa Yoshimoto was indeed dead by 1560, his mother Jukeini was quite alive and still served as the Onnadaimyo of the Imagawa clan. However, the son of Yoshimoto, who served as the official daimyo, was inexperienced and not respected by the retainers, who soon abandoned the Imagawa to take up service with some of their more influential neighbors like the Matsudaira, the Takeda, and the Hojo. Their domain became somewhat splintered, but it is a testament to the Onadaimyo Jukeni that the rival daimyo did not attack Imagawa domains while she still lived. Unfortunately for what was left of the Imagawa clan, she died in 1568. What followed was something of a free-for-all land grab against the Imagawa domains by the Takeda, Matsudaira, and Hojo clans. It is worth noting that the years of relative peace experienced by the Imagawa clan from 1560 to 1568 was helped in part by some of its strategic marriage alliances. Within the Takeda clan, for example, one of Shingen's sons, Takeda Yoshinobu, strongly objected when in 1560 Shingen proposed an invasion of Suruga province, the primary domain of the Imagawa clan. Yoshinobu was married to a daughter of Imagawa Yoshimoto and on principle could not support an incursion against her family. Eventually the rift between father and son grew so great that Yoshinobu began gathering support against Shingen's leadership and his father discovered the plot in its early stages and imprisoned his son for treason. This particular incident serves as a reminder that such intra-clan struggles were often complex, even among relatively united clans like the Takeda. Shortly after Jukeini's death in 1568, the invasions began. 
However, in spite of the clan's later misfortunes, it would not be right to claim that Daimyo Imagawa Ujizane did nothing during the years in which his grandmother was essentially managing the clan. With her support, he attempted to unite with the Hojo and Uesugi clan against the Takeda. The Uesugi, always eager for a just cause to fight against the Takeda, responded somewhat positively to his overtures, but the Hojo clan extracted certain conditions from Ujizane, namely that he adopt the Hojo daimyo's son as his own and declare him the official heir of Suruga province. Ujizane had little choice and agreed, thus forming an anti-Takeda alliance composed of those factions which surrounded the Takeda clan's domains. However, there was a big difference between organizing an alliance and managing to coordinate its actions. While the Uesugi continued their usual route of challenging the Takeda wherever possible, the Hojo clan did little to aid in the common defense. Eventually, Ujizane would be forced to surrender and accept a subordinate status to another clan. In the years prior to Ujizane's surrender, the Uesugi clan were making repeated incursions into Kanto. In 1561, just a year after the disaster at Okehazama, Daimyo Uesugi Kenshin made war on the Hojo clan, hoping to press his claim as the rightful Kanto Kanrei through military dominance. The ensuing siege of Odawara Castle lasted for two months, during which the Uesugi forces burned, pillaged, and otherwise destroyed the town which had sprung up around Odawara Castle. However, all attempts to seize the castle itself were ably thwarted, and eventually the Uesugi returned to their home of Echigo province after rumors spread that Takeda Shingen meant to take advantage of their absence with an incursion of their home. Next, the Uesugi turned toward Karasawa Castle, which lay at the junction of major roads which crisscrossed the Kanto region. Controlling those roads could lead to controlling eastern Japan, and Uesugi Kenshin had attempted three times before to capture this particular fortification. In 1563, he besieged Karasawa Castle once more, and this time the castellan Sano Masatsune finally surrendered and agreed to become an Uesugi vassal. He turned against them soon after, however, only to later submit once more before betraying them again, then pledging fealty, and then turn against them once more. It seems a little funny that Sano Masatsune so frequently committed these flip-flops, but the army of Uesugi Kenshin was already stretched far beyond its supply line, and needed to return to Echigo province before Takeda Shingen or some other ambitious rival took advantage of Kenshin's absence. Eventually, Kenshin would stop accepting Sano Masatsune's insincere capitulation and besieged Karasawa Castle in 1570, though his army would need to withdraw long before the garrison worried about surrender. They would attempt to take it once more in 1571, but that effort would also prove a failure. I mentioned in a previous episode that while the Uesugi often prevailed in set-piece battles, or at least held their own, they had a real weakness in the area of siege warfare. In Sunsa's Art of War, he warns readers against lengthy sieges which drained state treasuries and often caused casualties among encamped troops when illness struck the camp. A charitable assessment of the Uesugi clan's poor performance in sieges would be to assume that Kenshin was merely following Sunsa's good advice. 
A more realistic assessment, however, would be that the Uesugi army had a glaring weakness, which they would have been well advised to remedy. Establishing the regional domination necessary to maintain clan independence required an army capable of taking castles, and the Uesugi neglected the skill at some peril to themselves. This is not to say that the Uesugi were entirely deficient in provincial conquest. Throughout the 1550s and 1560s, Kenshin frequently asserted himself within the political factions of northern Chubu, gradually playing two sides against one another until he became the dominant leader and de facto daimyo of much of the northern coast stretching into Kansai. If he could manage to actually get control of Kanto, he could mount a real challenge to the Takeda clan and even to Oda Nobunaga himself. However, his faction's relative weakness in siege warfare and castle assault would prove a hindrance in the long term. On nearly the opposite end of the spectrum was the Hojo clan, also called the Gohojo or later Hojo clan, who were very mindful of the latest tactics and strategies for seizing fortresses and, once they were seized, reinforcing them so that they could prevent their enemies from recapturing. Throughout the 1560s, the Hojo clan pursued two of their clan's long-time conquest targets in the meantime, Musash and Shimosa provinces. They moved quickly against Musash province, seizing Iwatsuki castle, and nearly gaining control over the entire province in short order. While the Hojo were skilled in siege warfare, in this particular case they utilized some diplomacy, and convinced the garrison leader to surrender the castle while his father, the Castellan, was away. This is somewhat reminiscent of how Hojo Soun, the clan's founder, had once seized a castle by convincing the garrison that a massive army was imminently bearing down on them. Taking a fortress by trickery was almost certainly preferred over the costly and often casualty-heavy process of concerted assault. Both of these provinces lay to the east of Sagami province where the Hojo clan was headquartered. The Hojo clan had invested in naval power, something that set them apart from most other leading clans of the Sengoku period. This allowed them to focus some of their energies on provinces like Shimosa, which lay across the bay, and to not worry about the political and physical limitations of overland travel. Though it was something of a patchwork province, with many clans controlling various parts, the leading clan of Shimosa was the Satomi clan, who had been previously defeated, though not completely subdued, by the Hojo clan. Daimyo Satomi Yoshihiro hoped to reverse his clan's previous misfortunes by preparing a cunning trap for the invading Hojo army. Although the invaders numbered around 20,000 and his own meager defenders were only around 8,000, he planned for his troops to withdraw when the Hojo came in sight, drawing them to a place where the defenders had a strategic advantage, likely a patch of high ground. Unfortunately for Yoshihiro, his enemy daimyo Hojo Ujiyasu expected just such a ruse, and arranged a counter-maneuver. His son, Ujimasa, was leading a detachment of the main Hojo force, which attacked the Satomi army from the rear around the same time that the vanguard was engaging their front ranks. This time there would be no recovery for the Satomi clan, as their army was utterly destroyed, and their leaders either killed in the battlefield or forced to commit seppuku afterward. 
1568, Imagawa Jukaini died, and the Imagawa domains were considered up for grabs. Daimyo Imagawa Ujizane gathered what remained of the Imagawa army, which, considering the mass defections of their vassals and retainers, was not very numerous, and prepared to ambush the Takeda army, who was quickly mobilizing to invade Tsuruga province. Ujizane's planned ambush was betrayed, however, by many defectors whom Takeda Shingen had convinced to join with him. The ambush thus quickly turned into a disaster for the Imagawa troops, who fled from the encounter. Because of their hasty withdrawal, Sunpu Castle was left relatively undefended and was easily captured by the Takeda. The unfortunate Ujizane was forced to hole up in Kakegawa Castle in Totomi Province as Takeda Shingen continued bringing Suruga Province under his control. The next year, 1569, Imagawa Ujizane faced another threat in the form of Tokugawa Ieyasu, who came to Kakegawa Castle with his army and laid siege. The ordeal lasted five long months, but eventually Ujizane met with Ieyasu and they hammered out a deal which allowed Ujizane to keep his life and at least a portion of his dignity, even if there was no question that Ieyasu came out way ahead. The Tokugawa chieftain agreed to accept Ujizane as a vassal and to help him recover his domains in Suruga province from the Takeda clan. Tokugawa Ieyasu was hardly making this promise in good faith, but grasping at an opportunity to expand his domain in the near future. He was now the unchallenged master of Mikawa and Totomi provinces, but he disliked the proximity of the Takeda clan to his lands, nearly surrounding his domain to the north, and, now that they controlled Suruga province, they formed a barrier to his planned eastern expansion. Claiming to support his vassal, the rightful ruler of Suruga province, would give him a just cause to make war against the Takeda, with whom he had been formerly allied. The Takeda may have been irritated at the Tokugawa clan's diplomatic betrayal, but they already had their hands full fighting other neighbors. In 1568, they fell out with the Hojo clan because the Hojo continued to support the Imagawa. Shingen's forces first attacked Hachigata Castle in Musashi province, but when it proved too difficult to seize through assault, they attempted to take Takeyama Castle to their south. When that likewise presented too great a challenge to assault, they continued their march south and struck directly at Odawara Castle, the traditional headquarters of the Hojo clan. It appears that the Takeda clan were not entirely prepared to deal with long-term sieges at this time, however, and may have considered this excursion more of a punitive raid than a conquest-centered campaign. After a few days besieging Odawara Castle, they laid waste to the surrounding town and departed. I hope it is clear by now just how dominant the Takeda clan was becoming in Kanto by the end of the 1560s. They held nearly all of Shinano and Kai provinces, while also controlling a decent chunk of Musashi, Kozuke, and Sagami provinces as well. The Tokugawa and Hojo were practically the only powers in southern Kanto who could hope to check them, and they naturally reached out to another major power whose domain lay to the north of the expansive Takeda domain, the Uesugi. At this point, it had been almost ten years since the dramatic Fourth Battle of Kawanakajima, but Uesugi Kenshin was still eager to find a path toward dominating the Kanto and legitimizing the title he had extorted from his former liege lord. 
an anti-Takeda alliance between the Tokugawa, Uesugi, and Hojo clan would make the Tiger of Kai practically surrounded. If they could get the Oda clan involved, they could contain and eventually eliminate the threat of Takeda expansion entirely. Ironically, the Oda clan was actually less able to involve themselves in this dispute after their daimyo had entered the capital. Nobunaga's power was upheld in part by a delicate facade that he was acting in the interests of the rightful shogun and not merely grasping for power and cynically settling scores with personal enemies. This is why he went to such lengths to establish a just cause for attacking the Asakura and Azai clans, and why he was limited in what actions he could take against the Takeda until they attacked his domains directly later on. Thus, for the moment, containing and pushing back against Takeda expansion was the prerogative of Uesugi Kenshin, who assembled his army and marched into Kozuke province, which lies to the northeast of Shinano province and to the southeast of Kenshin's domain in Echigo province. They marched toward Ishikura Castle, a fortification which had changed hands from Uesugi to Hojo and eventually to the Takeda throughout the last few decades. Takeda Shingen assembled an army to meet the Uesugi incursion at the Tone River in 1571. The two rival daimyo followed their usual patterns of non-committal skirmishes and both ended up withdrawing without either side being able to claim victory. This would be the last time when Shingen and Kenshin faced one another on the battlefield. As we discussed in the previous episode, Shingen would go on to nearly destroy the Tokugawa clan, but would meet his end while encamped, likely from complications arising from a wound. When he was informed of his longtime enemy's demise in 1573, Uesugi Kenshin reportedly began weeping, saying that the world would never see a hero like Takeda Shingen ever again. At the close of the Muromachi period in August of 1573, the Takeda clan were still the dominant force in Kanto, having control over Sagami, Musashi, Kozuke, Shinano, and Kai provinces, which roughly formed the heartland of the region. However, they had made a powerful enemy in Oda Nobunaga, who would soon have the just cause he desired for coming after them directly. When we catch up with that conflict next season, we will get to see whether Takeda Shingen's successor was a commander of the same caliber as his father, and whether Nobunaga would be able to defeat the Kanto's superpower in open combat. To close this episode, I wanted to offer some final thoughts about Takeda Shingen, Uesugi Kenshin, and their respective triumphs and mistakes. Takeda Shingen, the Tiger of Kai, forged an impressive empire in central Kanto, and he did it by emphasizing a type of combat which appealed to the samurai of the area. There had long been a connection between traditional samurai and horses, that is to say, those warriors who traced their lineage back to the Seiwa Genji or the Taira or even the Tachibana felt that horse ownership was an important part of what separated them from bandits, Ashigaru, and other warriors of common origin. Convincing these would-be heroes to fight in a mass cavalry charge, largely eschewing individual combat, proved to be a very effective strategy for Shingen. That the war machine of the Takeda clan was also capable of supporting sieges and castle assaults only added to their success. However, 
Their sluggishness in adopting firearms on a large scale, as well as their general failure to adopt other tactics within foot-based combat, meant that the Takeda clan had more than one exploitable weakness. In fact, I think there's a case to be made that if Shingen had not died while encamped against the Tokugawa and managed to face Oda Nobunaga in open combat, the Oda still would have triumphed. Rapid, mass cavalry charges were incredibly effective on the broad plains of Kanto where they usually fought, but such maneuvers have limited application in mountainous Chubu and Kansai. I think the fundamental problem with the Takeda clan, both with and without Shingen, was its seeming refusal to adapt to changing circumstances. You may recall from episode 14, The Dragon of Echigo and the Tiger of Kai, that Shingen himself lost the Battle of Uedahara in which he outnumbered the Murakami clan more than two to one. Although he did have his own arquebusiers at the battle, he did not deploy them until the tide of battle had already started to turn against the Takeda. His campaign against the Tokugawa was impressive and, as I mentioned in the previous episode, was possibly a sign that he was adapting cavalry charges to help the horsemen avoid the mass casualties that so often followed a volley of bullets. However, he also vastly outnumbered his foes, and Ieyasu's over-reliance on guns proved to be a miscalculation. Unlike Shingen, Ieyasu would continue refining his tactics and changing his approach to meet the situation on the ground. As for Kenshin, I have already been very clear about the weakness of the Uesugi forces regarding essential skills like castle assault. His tendency to utilize diplomacy while often seen as wise was not always terribly successful in the long term. He also had almost no recourse against castellans like Sano Masatsune, who pledged fealty only to quickly run back to their previous liege lords as soon as the Uesugi had extinguished their campfires. His Kurumagakan formation, the winding wheel maniples which he developed, seemed to have performed well in the field, and at the very least likely prevented his forces from becoming depleted by too many casualties over time, but his negligence of castle assault meant that expanding his domains to the south would prove difficult at best. After Hannibal Barca won the Battle of Cannae, effectively annihilating a massive Roman army, some of his generals lobbied for a siege of Rome, but Hannibal refused. One of his generals allegedly remarked that Hannibal knew how to gain a victory, but not how to use it. I think the same criticism applies to Kenshin, whose impressive victories in the field often led to eventual withdrawal after a half-hearted siege. Both men were considered legendary commanders in their time and beyond, and in spite of the late George Sansom's rather cool remark that, quote, neither man displayed any remarkable strategic gift, end quote, I do have to agree with his follow-up statement, however, that, quote, they fumbled their opportunities and they seem to have learned little from their frequent mistakes, end quote. Nevertheless, the clans of Kanto would soon be faced with a choice of whether or not to supplicate themselves to Nobunaga, who would soon come to help the Tokugawa avenge themselves upon the Takeda, who had caused them such misfortune. But that's for next season. Next time we will analyze the way in which Bushido, the way of the warrior, changed and evolved during the age of civil wars. Until then, thank you for listening. 
If you would like access to exclusive bonus episodes, as well as ad-free versions of the regular episodes, please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash ahistoryofjapan. Thank <laughs> you.